1970 episode, we celebrate our 100th episode. And what a seminal season the 1971 is. Yes, the grand final was amazing, but there were also strikes, pay disputes, the ultimate flag hoister, three players reaching the ton of goals in the same season for the first time ever, and Norm Smith proves why he's the greatest coach of all time. All this and more in our 100th episode. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say For 100 fantastic episodes, you've brought us education, joy, and cheer. And we'll keep listening, despite the fact that Hawthorne wins a lot from here. Thank you, kick to kick for 100 episodes of fun, except for those terrible 13 shows where bloody Collingwood won. Welcome to the kick to kick podcast, the Australian Rules Football History podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the league. We have no real qualifications to bring you this show other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive the past, and lots and lots of books. You are Tim. My name is Tim. Thank you, Kaz. You are Kaz. Hi. And that's Charlie. I am Charlie. Guys, 100 episodes. <laughs> Can you believe it? We made it. I'll well done. Thank you for carrying us through this, Tim. Oh, <laughs> well, my pleasure. Who, who'd have thought oh. we'd get here? I mean, it's only taken us five years. Is it that long? Have yeah, we been doing this for that long? Year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I've just swanned in for the 100th. Yeah, well, it's good to have you back. special. <laughs> in and out, that's all right. It's like that in these COVID times. Um, highlights of our 100 episodes, guys? Oh, uh, Kevin Murray. Talking about Kevin Murray. <laughs> of course, finally got there. Charlie? Oh. Jeez, there's too many. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I, I really like the war, um, World War One, World War Two specials. Yeah. Particularly. Yeah, I don't know. this there's been a lot of great times. Mm, just, yeah. just the learning, the learning, oh, the yes. learning, and the and the and the sharing of, of learned <laughs> and things, the giving. and the giving and the taking um, and the receiving. I learned a lot of the guests. Um, Thanks all the guests. Yeah, the guests. The guests oh. have been a highlight. The interviews. The, the year of the demons last year. That I think this because this is our. This is 2022. This is yep. our first episode of the new season. New yes. Yeah. This time last year, we declared it the year of the demons because we had so many of these premierships. And to it talk was about. the year of the demons. And. Through that, we inspired a premiership. Isn't yeah, that great? I, I can't believe we did that. You're welcome. Days. So welcome to the Year of the Bombers. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't Let's work that way. <laughs> um, so throughout this episode, there'll be a few messages from some, some past guests that we've had just that you might hear and remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, hello listeners in the UAE, Germany, Poland, Sweden, and Turkey. Nice. Yeah, spreading taking over the love. Russia. Spreading the love. Mm. Um, so, shall we get into some history to start with? Oh, let's do it. Give us some history. history uh, the song, number one song I've chosen is In the Summertime by The Mixtures. Oh, yeah. Number one in Australia for six weeks in 1970. Uh, the other thing, can you believe we're up to the 70s? I know. I know. In the 1970 season. Um, special mention to Suspicious Minds and Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head and Let It Be. It's a real, that's a real eclectic mix of, of songs there. Isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Alrighty, would you like to hear about some things that happened in 1970? Always okay. Well, let's start with uh, the 1st of February. We had the AFL. No, no. 
not this one, the American Football League <laughs> and the National Football League merged to become the National Football League make it, make with its 26 it. real teams realigned into the con- the two different conference yes, conferences. Yes, Thank goodness, exactly. we saved our acronym. Um, I've really tried to hone down now. Yep. On the 11th of April, we had Apollo 13 launched toward the moon. Uh, we've all seen the documentary starring Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. Yeah. yeah, no. Yeah, great film. Great film. Gary Busey? Yep. Uh, no, no. no Gary yes, yeah. Uh, on the 8th of May, we had the Knicks, the New York Knicks, winning their first NBA championship, defeating the LA Lakers 113 99. Phil Jackson. At MSG. On the 21st of June, we had Brazil defeating Italy 4 1 to win the 1970 FIFA World Cup in Mexico. On the 19th of September, we had the South Sydney Rabbitohs defeating the Manly Warringah Sea Eagles 23-12 in the New South Wales Rugby League Grand Final at the SCG. Uh, South, the, the South's captain, John Sattler, played most of the game with a broken jaw. And um, Parramatta finished last, playing in the wooden spoon. We had Baghdad Note winning the Melbourne Cup in early November. Um, also in this uh, year, we had uh, Margaret Court becoming the second woman ever to win the Grand Slam of tennis. And John Newcomb won both the singles and the doubles championships in Wimbledon in 1970. And then on the last thing I had here, which I thought was really interesting, on November the 8th, Tom Dempsey, who uh, was the kicker for the New Orleans Saints, um, set the record by kicking a 63-yard field goal goal to beat, to beat the uh, Detroit Lions at Tulane Stadium. The interesting thing about the, about this is Tom Dempsey was born with a deformed right foot. Wow. So there you go. Uh, what else? And, oh, uh, November 14, Southern Airways Flight 932 crashed in West Virginia and all 75 people on board were killed. That included... 37 players and five coaches from the Marshall University football team. So the movie We yeah, Are Marshall, Marshall. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that happened in 1970. Yeah, I mean, the 70s, this is the start of the 70s, a real big year for change as well. I think you had the protests going on in Australia yes. about Vietnam. Yeah, a protest across there. The, across huge, the, world, the huge march, 10,000 people marching on Washington as well. Yep. I sort of stayed with the, the sports stuff because yeah, if we start talking about everything, we'll, yeah. we'd be here. That's a whole different podcast. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, but you're right. All of that was going on. There was a huge protest in uh, Melbourne, I think it was Melbourne, it might have been Sydney, uh, when Spiro Agnew, who was the vice president of America, came here all mm. about Vietnam oh. as well. So, yeah, interesting times. Yeah. Um, Want to hear about some people who were born? I do. There were only a few. No. Okay. <laughs> I stuck with, so, stuck 50, with the Aussies. 52-year-olds this year. Mm. Yeah. Stuck with the Aussies. We had Glenn McGrath, yep. born on the 9th of Feb. Jamie Jury, born on the 3rd of June. <laughs> Tony Vid- Vidmar, the soccer player, born on the 4th of July. Adam Hills... The Comedian, uh, 10th of July, and on the 26th of November, we had Dave Hughes. Okay. Hughesy. Jamie mm. Jury's still 20. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's amazing. He no. just ages backwards. Mm. All right, 1970 mm. season. Um, everything changes. Apparently, 1970 was the seminal season where the, the game we know now is kind of born, and, and they all the historians kind of date it back to the 1970 season, specifically oh. the grand final. Okay. That's a really interesting Ooh. season to talk about. A yeah. really good one for our 100th Good one for episode. our 100th. Yeah, yeah I like that. You've lined it up. All right, so some league news to start with. Because it's football season, and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. Before the season, the VFL brought in a rule that allowed clubs to legally pay anything they liked for interstate recruits. 
but restricted every club to two a year instead of up to 20 as in the past. <laughs> okay. Sorry, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a move to restrict all interstate recruiting for three years was defeated on a six to six vote of the clubs. There's 22 rounds. Yeah. Last season we had 20. This season we have 22. So it is cool. a fair and equitable mm. season now. Mm. Yeah. Which I think is great. tidied up there. Yeah. The league also cleared clubs to play practice matches in Melbourne. Previously, they'd been banned from matches against sides within 60 miles of the city. Okay, so that's why <laughs> they always went to the country to yeah. play. Yeah, yeah. Which I didn't think was a bad thing because you're kind of promoting the game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and helping attract players to the clubs. I didn't think that was a bad thing. Um, another change was the introduction of a kicking in danger rule, which the VFL proposed to the ANFC and was accepted unanimously. Now, is that still a rule? It just never gets just, paid it, anymore. Yeah, it get, it's very rare. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it didn't prove popular with players or coaches who had not been consulted before this was adopted. Mm. But I make, make Weird sense. that players didn't like an, the idea of a rule that stopped them getting <laughs> kicked in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and round three, which we'll get to, saw the very first game at Waverley. Wait, there's your Waverley. Ah, yes. Yeah. Um, pre-game, Victorian Governor Sir Rowan Delacombe unveiled a plaque in front of the main stand in the members area mm. named in honour of Sir Kenneth Luke. Ah, uh, Yes. Those so, foundations holding strong, yeah. Mm, well, they're still kind of there. Bits of the <laughs> the still there. They're still there, under yeah. the ground. We've been there. The whole the Hawks Museum. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, well, that gets us to our first team. Let's do what we usually do. Let's move our way up the ladder. And before we do, this will be our last episode where we do the whole season as one. It'll be a long episode. Going forward, it'll be we'll split them up. Yes. We're changing out. About that. And in 12th place, North Melbourne... Uh, they had four wins, 18 losses, and their percentage was 79.1%, Charlie. Yes, so uh, coached by Keith McKenzie and captained by John Dugdale for the third year. Yeah, all right, we've got some big debutants. We've got one called Barry Cable, who I'll get you to talk about mm. in a second, Kazman. Yeah, uh, but here's some great names. Wolfgang Dietrich. Love it. Paul Feltham, Brian Devitt, Frank Gumbleton, and Alan Bloomfield. Kaz, tell us a bit about Barry Cable. Barry Cable, 116 games, 133 goals, one of the finest rovers of the post-war era. Cable was a master of disposable, especially by hand. Disposal? Disposable. That's not fair. That's Barry Cable. A little bit about him. Yeah. Um, And also, he was from WA as well. Um, An Indigenous, one of the, you know, another Indigenous star that they've taken from the West. Mm, That's right. Um, all right, so North Melbourne winning another wooden spoon here. They started the season with optimism, however. This quickly turned uh, to pessimism <laughs> as a severe injury to Sam Kekovic put him out for most of the year. John Dugdale, captain, also injured himself in the preseason and only played two games, while Laurie Dwyer suffered from glandular fever and didn't really hit his, side, his strides till mid-season. Oh, no. So with Dugdale out, Peter Stewart was the replacement captain. They're going to be looking to the future. Yeah. Round three was their first win, which was a 57-point thumping of the Demons at Arden Street. Great. Robert Patterson kicking five goals. <laughs> Round seven, they had their first win at Waverley Park, trailing Essendon for most of the day. They made a last quarter comeback, holding the Bombers to only two points, eventually beating them by 16. New recruit Barry Cable in dominant form with 39 disposals leading the way. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, he's a big recruit. Silk. In round nine, they turned in a resounding second-half performance to take the game from the Tigers. Cable again best on ground for the Roos. Alan Bloomfield with four. But then they went on a 12-game losing streak. Oh, that hurts. Mm. Round 19, they put in a battling game to only go down by two points in Laurie Dwyer's 200th game. 
The final win of the season was a big 41-point win over Geelong at Arden Street. A dominant third quarter really finished the season off on a bang. Goodingham, Cable and Ferrant were the best. Um, and Barry Cable had a great end to the season, actually. He averaged 28 disposals a game across the final seven games of the season. So he did, he did, there's some bright lights there yeah. for the Roos. First year, Brownlee? Yeah. No, not quite. <laughs> so... The lead goal kicker at North Melbourne was Gary Farrant with 32. Okay. Uh, followed by, I'm assuming, his brother, Doug yep. Farrant, with 21. Okay. Uh, and the winner of the Sid, Mark, uh, Sid Barker medal in 1970 was... Barry Cable. Barry Cable. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. Hello, everyone. Craig Wessel is here from a Yank on the Footy coming to you from Sandusky, Ohio, and I wanted to take a moment and congratulate Kaz and Charlie, Tim, Maz, and Ryan for their 100th episode of the Kick to Kick podcast. These folks know their footy. Congratulations, everyone. Fantastic achievement. Guys, in 11th place, Essendon, Tim, with six delicious wins and 16 <laughs> losses, um, and percentage 81.5. Were they delicious wins? Mm. <laughs> You'd hope so. Yeah. You'd want to savour them. <laughs> uh, so, coached this year by Jack Clark again, and uh, captained by Barry Davis. Yes, so there's a, there's a reason for Essendon's poor form this year. Uh, some debutants were Brian Pirouette and David Starbuck. Now, Alan Noonan, one of the Bombers' stars, only played two games for the season. But the big story here was pre-season. Uh, Don McKenzie, Jeff Pryor, Daryl Garlich, Barry Davis and Jeff Gosper requested an increase in match payments, which was much higher than the league allowed. They wanted $3 per training session, $40 a match. After playing at least 50 games, they wanted increments for every 25 games they played. So they wanted they wanted a bit more money mm. yeah. for our worth. Mm. Um their request was rejected by the club. They had to do it as a group. One of the reasons being that they weren't allowed to pay, be paid more because of the VFL League rules. Yeah. Mm. So they all decided to stand out of football. The club supported the request, but it was ultimately blocked by the league. The players sat out of a practice match against South Adelaide. They turned up for training on April second, but were not invited to start. Uh, were not invited to the start of the season barbecue, and the club named the new acting captain in John Williams. Oh, exciting. Mm, the five dissenting players effectively retired as players and missed the opening game against Carlton. However, four days later, the row was settled and the VFL would eventually institute a very similar scheme to what the players had wanted. Hmm. The, the Bombers also set up a testimonial fund for them. Um, by round two, after a terrible loss in round one, the Bombers <laughs> the players were reinstated for the second game. Um, but they had another loss to Footscray in that one. But Barry Davis resumed the captaincy on a player vote. Oh, okay. A very turbulent start to the season, which kind of helps mm. suggest why they... They uh, had such a shocker. Yeah. Yeah. Solidarity, um, though, around um, sitting out, and then they uh, actually they, yeah. instituted some change. Yeah. Because it's not the only club that's going through a bit of this yeah. strike action. And I guess you can talk about the history of strikes and, you know, people standing up for their wages and people yeah. standing up for their rights at this time happened in the football game, football mm, yeah. league as well. Um, so with the team back on the same page, they won round three against South Melbourne by 11 points. Alan Noonan in one of his only games, leading the way with four goals. Captain Barry Davis, best on ground. They backed this up with a 40-point win over the Hawks. Round eight saw their next win, a close encounter with the Lions, where they won by three points. The Lions should have actually won this game. As time again, they sent the ball into their forward line, but the Bombers' defence, led by Daryl Garlich, uh, held the fort to see the Bombers get a win. Then probably their best win of the season happened in round nine. Taking on the unbeaten Magpies at Windy Hill, Collingwood did t- kick atrociously. They kicked 11 goals, 21, and had themselves to blame. Uh, but Jeff Bletham and Gary Granger led the way for the Bombers, who won by a goal. Then a seven-game losing streak followed. 
<laughs> Their only other two wins of the season were round 17, they beat the Demons. <laughs> Although they started poorly, only scoring three behinds in the opening quarter. They kicked 10 goals, seven in the second quarter to really take the game by the scruff of the neck. Robin Close and John Ellis with five each and Barry Davis leading the disposals. And as had been their way this season, their wins came in twos with a 27-point win over the Kangaroos the next week. Uh, again, the second quarter, they won the game. Eight goals, one kicked in that one. Um, in other news, the Bombers signed a 21-year lease at Windy Hill, which would include the building of a new grandstand. Nice. Takes them up to 1991. Uh, yeah. I think when they played their last game there, it might have been 92. But okay. Yeah, and then um, end of the season, the committee also decided to terminate Jack Clark's contract at the end of the season. He's out. He's gone. Yeah. Three years. Yeah. Yep. Took him to a grand final in his first year. And then... And they just bombed. Yeah. And glided. Dead cat bounce at the start, yeah. and then bang. Yeah. Out they go. Yep. So, the league goal kicker for Essendon in 1970 was Jeff Blethen with 33. Yep. And the Crichton medal winner was... Uh, Daryl Gerlach. Yeah, yeah, Gerlach. Yeah. yeah. Nice. G'day team. Dan Eddy here. Uh, to everyone who puts together the Kick to Kick podcast, can I just say a huge congratulations on your 100th episode. Amazing, amazing times, amazing achievement. Um, what you've been doing in retelling the history in such an entertaining and factual way has been, uh, been fantastic listening and I'm looking forward to the next, however many there is to go. I can't remember. There must be, what, another 50 or more. So uh, good luck with the next lot but uh congrats on the hundred and i hope you uh, i hope the queen sent you a letter because uh, it's well deserved cheers guys and playing into my theory that when essendon's down melbourne are down and when <laughs> essendon's up melbourne is up um, yeah. getting in our way um, melbourne in 10th place just above essendon six wins 16 losses percentage 83.5 yeah, so not much in it there no. um coached again this year by uh, john beckwith uh, the ex-captain Ooh. and captain by frank davis Taking a new captain? Yes, taking over from... Brian, no, um, Hassan was before him, but then there was... No, Bluey Adams was in 69. Right, some we've got Ray Carr, Noel Leary, Lloyd Bergman, and a name you may know, Peter Crackers-Keenan. Kaz. Mm, coming in. Yes, that's right, Crackers-Keenan. Um, I played for Melbourne for 70-75 and um, another stint in 81-82. to 82. 131 games... And a few other clubs there. A true character of the game. He became noted for his on-field humour, which spilled over to a successful post-playing media career. Christened Peter Patrick Pius Paul Crackers. Gave 100% on the field even in his last years as he was plagued by knee and ankle problems. So go look him up. Did he have a song, or am I thinking of Mark Jacko Jackson? Jacko had a song. Jacko definitely had a song. Did Crackers have a song? I don't know. Okay. Uh, all right, round one was against Norm Smith's Swans, who took advantage of a new rule which allowed teams a 10-minute warm-up on the ground before each match. South had their chances to put Melbourne away for good in the first half, but they were wasteful and allowed the Demons to stay in the game. Fred Way was dominant in the ruck. By half-time, the margin was nearly three goals, and Melbourne extended it to another goal in each of the last two quarters to run out comfortable victors. In round two, they were against Hawthorne at the MCG and nearly six goals up at half-time. They relaxed in the third quarter and let the Hawks back into the game, but held on to win. Crackers Keenan with four goals. Then round four, the Lions got the jump on them early with eight goals in the first, but the Ds were able to steady the chip and kick away to win by five goals. Ray Carr with five. Then round six, playing the Bombers, the Don started freely. It was then that John Beckwith gambled with moving Greg Park into the centre, and it paid handsome dividends. Park racked in 28 kicks and 24 marks throughout the day. 
Ross Dillon moved to centre half forward at the same time, and the two dominated the D's one by 15 points. So, after six games, the D's were four and two, and only percentage from fourth. They're just out of the top four. Wow. What and a then, fall. And then they lost seven games straight. <laughs> the D's finally snapping that losing streak in round 14 by holding off North Melbourne in a seesawing game at the MCG. Wasteful in attack, the Demons mm-hmm. were just two goals behind at the long break, but a strong defensive performance ensued. Uh, using handball perfectly in the conditions, the Demons pulled away at halftime. North came hard in the last quarter, but two goals from Ray Carr got the Ds over the line. And then round 19 against Richmond... Melbourne dominated all over the field and won in every position. Such was the strength in their attack that every member of the forward line kicked a goal. Lightning handball unlocked the Tigers' midfield with ease. They mm. stayed within range in the first half, but when best on ground, Peter Crackers Kenan took over the centre bounces in the third quarter. They jumped away with six goals to one. This win all but ensured the Demons wouldn't win the spoon, opening up a three-game and percentage break on North Melbourne with three games left. Uh, at the end of the season, John Beckwith resigned as coach, which led to speculation that a certain player named Ron Barassi might uh, return oh. to <laughs> And that is the Demon's season. And Cr- Crack has admitted that most of his game was bluff, and no. that, um, he used to act like a gorilla at the centre bounce. <laughs> as you do. So uh, Melbourne's lead goal kicker this year was uh, Ross Dillon with 41, and the Blue Etruscan medal went to Frank Davis. Okay. Captain. Captain, yeah. Um, have you heard of Frank Davis? No. Okay. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Melbourne, the lost years. Yes, well, yeah. 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 Pod- <laughs> another podcast. G'day, kickers. Big Red here, ringing in to celebrate the 100th episode with our Kick to Kick team. I'm proud of the work that we did together uh, and, and continue to be proud of the podcast as it comes out. Uh, I think it's a fabulous um, way to celebrate the history of our great game from Victoria and across the whole country, um, both focusing on the VFL, AFL, and, of course, all the other major leagues across the country. Uh, keep up the great work, guys. Another 100 episodes or so to go, I can imagine. But, look, it's been a great ride. Uh, Big Red loved it. And until next time, kick straight. In ninth place, Fitzroy, nine wins, 13 losses. And their percentage, 82.3. Yes, so the Roys are captained by uh, Kevin Murray and coached by Bill Stephen. Yes, the debutants include John Duckworth and Laurie Bennett. Now, in the off-season, the Lions advised Carlton that they would be leaving Princes Park. Oh, OK. Carlton took out legal action to keep them there. They were happy. <laughs> because they wanted the cash. Of course. Yeah. And Carlton the Carlton. Fitzroy started negotiations with the local council about a return to Brunswick Street Oval. Yeah. But when negotiations broke down, they went to Junction Oval. St Kilda's old... Mm. We all know how that oh, yeah. worked out. Yeah. Great, great ground. Yeah, plays there for 20 odd years, yeah. for I don't know, 15 years. Well, it sounds like they're really doing well. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not sure what happened with the legal um, proceedings from Carlton. I guess nothing came of it. So, round one, they took on the Tigers in the very first Sunday game. They got permission to play on Sunday, and the Royal family was in attendance from half time. <laughs> um, Princess Anne was left with a dirty glove after shaking players with hands with the players of Fitzroy <laughs> and Richmond. John Murphy also tells the story of the players having to put in false teeth and do their hair and threw themselves up at halftime. <laughs> Kevin Murray wore a sleeve top to hide his tattoos. One of the only times in his career when he did that. <laughs> Harvey Merrigan and John Murphy helped lead the Tiger the Lions to a twenty point win. 
The annual report said, We are proud to record having won the first ever Game of Australian Rules football to be played under royal patronage. <laughs> I'm sure Princess Anne had a great time. Yeah, and she also at halftime, apparently she asked one of the players whether I can't remember what team like Uh-oh. I heard there was a bit of biff in the first first half do you, do you think there'll be some in the next half <laughs> uh, this was also the Lions first win over the Tigers the MCG since 1947 but in round two the Lions crashed back to earth with a big home loss to the previous Junction Oval tenant St Kilda yeah. round three was another first when they played in the first game at Waverley Park but the Lions were again easily beaten. We'll talk about that a bit more when we get to the, their opponent. Why does everyone go to Junction Oval? <laughs> don't know. Melbourne were there too. Yeah, you were training there, weren't you? Yeah. Round five, the Lions finally had their first win at their new ground. In a lacklustre game, they beat the Kangaroos by five points. The Lions almost kicked themselves out of it with five goals, 24, and at one stage almost trailed by five goals. But John Murphy kicked the goals to put them in front 12 minutes into the last quarter, and from then on, it was a matter of just hanging on to win, mm. which they did. Round 9, Alex Ruskulich was the full forward, kicking three of the Lions' five goals in the opening quarter, then adding two more in the second against the win. wind. The Lions, held on, the Lions held a good 35-point lead going into the final quarter, but the Dogs hit back with six goals to one in the last quarter, and it was Alex Ruskulich who kicked the sealer after a free kick. The Lions won by two points. Oh. The next week in round 10, Bill Stevens outfoxed the Red Fox, hey. pulling several positional changes against the Swans, which bamboozled the Swans. Uh, saw the Lions build a 20-point lead at half-time. Rusklich was again good with five in the second quarter alone, but the Swans stormed back in the third. But then the Lions switched Thompson into the ruck, and he dominated, and again it was Rusklich who kicked the winner in time on. Master strike. Round 12, Norm Dare led them to a win against the Tigers, and then also had a blinder in the game against the Demons, which they won. Round 16, they came from 20 points down to beat the Roos again with an eight-goal-to-one final quarter. Round 19 against the Bombers at Windy Hill. The Lions were 29 points down at one stage in the second quarter, but they fought back to go into the break only four points in arrears and then took the lead in the third. Again, the dominance of winger Norm Dare helped the Lions. John Murphy kicked two last quarter goals. But guess who it was that put the Lions ahead by seven? Alex Rushglitch again. <laughs> the first win the Lions had had over the Bombers since 1961. That's too long. Yeah. Round 20, the Lions followed a similar pattern against a distracted Footscray team. They fell behind early, but throughout, through the play of Norm Dare and John Murphy, they fought back to take the lead. Although this time it was Doug Searle who kicked the goals, six of them. The Lions won another close one by two points, and this was their final win of the season. So some gutsy wins here by the Lions. What did they, what did they finish, Cats? What? Fourth, uh, fourth, fourth last? Ninth. Uh, is it ninth? Yep. Ninth, okay, yeah. So some gutsy wins. They maybe shouldn't have won, but they had a bit of luck on their side. Yeah. So Alex Ruskulich with the goal? Alex Ruskulich was with the goals. He kicked 49 for the season. Mm. And the Mitchell medal in 1970 went to John Murphy for the second time. He shared it with uh, Kevin Murray in 68. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Murray's still up there. Um, Not up there, though, is Hawthorne in eighth place. (laughs) Ten wins, 12 losses. Their percentage, a whopping 114. I wonder what game they've been kicking away in. Unfortunately, well, not I have a very consistent. Goal kicker called Peter Hudson. <laughs> he does do that. He's good at that. <laughs> yeah. So, captained by David Park and coached by uh, John Kennedy. Yes, debutants include Al, Mal- Al Martello, Charlie Grumsich, Les Hawken, and Leon Rice. And I just want to give another shout out to Ian Oakley for his work on the Hawks headquarters website, where I get a lot of this information. Yes, very uh, nice. Preseason, Peter Crimmins was avo- appointed vice captain as well, but the Hawks season started disastrously losing their first seven games including five by less than two goals they lost a cracking opening game at Glenferry to Geelong by nine points with Hudson booting eight 
Mm-hmm. An 11 point loss to Melbourne followed, and then a 7 point loss to Collingwood with Hudson kicking another 8. Um, and despite these close losses, the side was already on the bottom of the ladder. Round 6, Hudson booted yet another haul of 8 goals and a 7 point loss to Richmond. The Hawks score of 20 goals 10, 130 was their highest ever losing score at that point. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, a 27 point loss to St Kilda at Moorabbin rounded out their horror start to the year. Uh, so after starting the season losing the first seven, they won eight of their next nine. Their breakthrough win came in the form of a 10-goal hiding of second-place South Melbourne, with Peter Hudson kicking 13 goals too, <laughs> to take him past the 50-goal mark already. Oh, yeah. Less than halfway through the season, yeah. 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 It's amazing. A 32-point win over Carlton at Princess Park followed in round nine, Hudson bagging six as the Hawks jumped out of the blocks with five goals to one in the first quarter. However, Peter Crimmins injured his ankle in this game, an injury that would affect the rest of his season. Oh, yeah. In round 10, the Hawks scored their first ever win at VFL Park, slogging out a 13-point win over North Melbourne. Then Hudson kicked another 7 in a 40-point win over Fitzroy, and the season had some impetus at last as the Hawks climbed to 8th spot. Yes! (laughs) Then they had a 28-point loss to 3rd place Geelong, slowing their momentum, but the side bounced back to notch a 39-point win over Melbourne, a 24-point win over 1st place Collingwood, with Hudson kicking 9, a 68-point hiding of Essendon at Windy Hill, Hudson with eight, and then a 99-point demolition of the Doggies at VFL Park in round 16. The margin was a club record. Uh, The day made even greater by Hudson scoring his 100th goal of the season with his sixth goal of of 11 he kicked for the match. Also among this, he snagged his 400th career goal from just 71 games. Still an (laughs) AFL record. Oh, beautiful. Inexplicably... Yeah, so 400 goals in three years, isn't uh, it? Four. Four years. Inexplicably, the side lost its next four games, albeit three of them against top four sides. The losses to Richmond, St Kilda, South and Carlton ended the Hawks' run to the finals, but Hudson's form continued with a bag of nine against the Saints and six against the Swans. Hawthorne finished the season, extended to 22 games, uh, strongly beating North by 66 points, Hudson with nine, and they beat Fitzroy (laughs) by 59, Hudson with 11. The win over the line saw Peter Crimmins gather 31 disposals and kick a wayward one goal six, including four behinds and two out of bounds on the fools in the first quarter. But Hudson, and I'm, maybe I'm stealing your thunder here, uh, how many goals did he finish with? 146. Yeah, so an average of 6.64 goals a game. <laughs> Huge. So in summing up the season, Kennedy rued the team's lack of success in tight finishes. He also fired this warning. Those who cannot bear to see Hawthorne finish down the list are desperate. We realise we're at a crossroads and that in 1971 we must make the four. Also on Christmas Eve, John Kennedy was appointed to the Victorian Teachers Tribunal, which forbade its members receiving income from outside work. Oh! He was paid 2000 a season by the Hawks, so Kennedy resigned from his position as coach. However, um. he asked to be reinstated as a voluntary coach, and thus entered 1971 as an un- the only unpaid coach in the league. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Did not know that. Yeah, me either. Yeah. Um, best and fairest? Best and fairest. The Peter Crimmins medal in 1970 went to Peter Hudson for yeah. a second time. Yeah, I mean, 146 goals. It's is hard to insane. go past it. G'day, boys. Shawnee Manor here from the Weber Football Club. Congratulations on 100 episodes. Absolutely love your work. Here's to 100 more. Cheers. Go. So let's continue on. There is a little bit of rain happening outside, so there is a bit of white noise. That's right. Um, with lots of good players as well, but not quite up the ladder. Footscray. Uh, 11 wins, 11 losses, and their percentage was 91.2, Charlie. So, captained uh, by Ted Whitten and coached again by Ted Whitten. Yeah, coached by Ted Whitten the whole season. Yes. Captain for a few games. Ah, okay. I'll talk about that in a second. Because Ted Whitten was told by the committee pre-season he'd be only playing four games a year for the year. 
because they, they wanted him to play just enough to break the game's record. Set by Dick Reynolds, and then he was going to be uh, forcefully retired. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, Dick Reynolds well. jibbed again. Uh, Ted was quite hurt by this, as you can imagine. I bet, yeah. Uh, some debutantes include Bill Godridge, Trevor Zeltner, Charles Pagnicolo, Ian Salmon, and Mike Pokrovsky. So there's a few good names there. <laughs> Um, so, they started very poorly against the Magpies, mm. uh, but in round two, George Bissett starred in the Dogs' first win of the season, which was against the Bombers. He had 29 disposals and kicked five goals. Uh, Ted Whitten, however, missed that game. Round three, Stuart McGee helped the Dogs take control after the quarter time to smash the Saints at Western Oval by 33 points. And then round four was a loss, but it was Ted Whitten's record-equaling 320th match. They lost that game to South Melbourne. However, round five was the day for Ted Whitten to break the record and play his final game against the Hawks. With 19,610 supporters going absolutely nuts every time Ted went near the ball. <laughs> the Dogs went in at three-quarter time, two points down, and this is what Ted said to his charges. I said to you at half-time that providing we control the rucks in the air like we were doing, we've got a real chance. In that quarter, yeah, you let their rucks get on top of us a little bit, particularly from the centre bounce and around the ground, which we can't afford to do. You had them in your hand and you've let them out. Now we've got to get them back in there and close it up. They played attacking football, we went negative in that quarter. And you can't afford to. They want attacking purposeful football all the time. And providing you had to kick it up in that quarter, we had a real chance of winning it in that quarter. Now we've got our backs against the wall and we've got to fight, and we've got to fight hard. It's going to be a do-or-die effort. It's going to be a determined bit. You've got to show me all the guts and all the determination you've got in your body. You've got to inspire me with this last quarter bit. You've been in front all day, you've got to stay there. Are you going to sit there? We've got a big effort there. Come on, sir. That afternoon, we all got soaked. So that classic guts and determination speech, which we all know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in the last quarter, neither team could actually score a goal in a last quarter slog. The Dogs kicked five points um, and ran out three-point winners. Following the game, Gary Dempsey hoisted Mr. Football up onto his shoulders and he was taken to a little podium on a truck in the middle of the ground as the supporters sang for he's a jolly good fellow and Ted Whitten said these words. To any of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of telegrams, cards, telephone calls and good wishes that have been bestowed upon me in this last week. But collectively, I'd like to say to each and every one of you, and you are the people that know who sent them, a magnificent thank you. I love you all. I hope you stick with it. And thus, Ted Whitten has retired as a player. That's the end. Yes. Um, Good way to send somebody up. So, Charlie, um, who took over from Ted Whitten after he retired? It was Stuart McGee. Great. All right, we have Charles Pagnicolo starting to show some real positive signs in helping the Dogs to a good win over the Demons in Round 7, while Bernie Quinlan also began to improve, uh, with usual stars George Bissett and Dempsey helping them to win against the Kangaroos. Round 10, the Dogs' refusal to bow to Precious uh, was a decisive factor in a very good win over Carlton. The Blues did crawl their way back into the game, but the Dogs' mids in McGee and Thorpe helped set up a consistent output from the middle to give the Dogs opportunities and eventually they won that match against Carlton by 10 points. Round 13, they were able to hold off Essendon, the Western Oval, Bissett and Mannix, with almost 60 possessions between them, led the way. They made a late-season run for the finals with two wins in a row over the Hawks and the Cats, and they sat two games out of the four. Round 19, they made it four in a row with a time-on victory over the desperate Kangaroos, 
It was Kangaroos forward Frank DiMartino who actually kicked the point that put the Dogs in the lead. Hey. He was bumped as he kicked the ball, which went through for a point to give the Dogs the lead. Then in the dying seconds, Laurie Sandilands kicked another point to give them a two-point victory and a sniff of finals. However, this is where the, the wheels fell off. Following round 19, Footscray players threatened to go on strike, all because of their end-of-season trip. Are you kidding? So pre-season, the players have been promised a trip to Surfers Paradise in the postseason. Yep. But mid-season, the club committee told them that the money would be used instead to establish a social club. So the players threatened to strike and went into the match against the Lions incredibly distracted. So no surprise they lost. Moving the goalposts. At a players-only meeting the following week, the players agreed to a counter-offer. This is the, so instead of going to Surface Paradise, they went to Adelaide. <laughs> That's right. Which saved the club at least $2,000. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they really earned their end of season trip with a last round victory over the Tigers by 10 points. So, <laughs> so a trip to the Gold Coast could have had them making finals. Possibly. <laughs> but they said no. No. They derailed their whole season. Absolutely. Off they go to Adelaide. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the lead goal kicker for Footscray was George Bissett with 45. From the middle as well. Yeah. And uh, the Charlie Sutton medal went to Gary Dempsey mm. in 1970. Hello, everyone. It's uh, Red Bartlett, the Richmond historian. You might remember me from such kick-to-kick podcast episodes as 1908 where I think it is still the longest podcast episode they've done because I just kept talking. So you know what? To celebrate your century, I don't think you want to hear from me. I think you want to hear from someone else. G'day, Kevin Bartlett. Big cheerio to Kick the Kick podcast. I believe this is your 100th episode coming up. What a fantastic milestone. Now, I'll tell you what, when you get to your 403rd show, give me a call because I'd love to be on it. And if you get to your 778 podcast, same number of podcasts as the number of goals I kicked, give me another call. It'll be fantastic to catch up. Great work you're doing on the history of the game. Congratulations, Kick the Kick podcast number 100. And sixth place for Richmond with 12 uh, wins, 10 losses, and their percentage was 101.6. Yes, so captain by Roger Dean again and coached by Tommy Hafey. Of course, debutants include Ray Boyanich, Eric Leach, Lloyd French, and Neil Baum, who I guess has been much more successful as an administrator. He's also a pretty darn good player yeah, as well. Yeah, tough. Yeah. One of the most feared footballers of his era, Baum was tough and ruthless uh, and um, was a Tiger Ruckman recruited from WA Club Subiaco, who played in Richmond's 73-74 Premiership sides, went on as a great administrator. Yeah. All right, round one. The Royal Family arrived at halftime um, just to... They're still around. Hold on a sec, let me just redo this. <laughs> Uh, so, in the round one game, they were playing on a Sunday against Fitzroy, and at halftime, the Royal Family came to watch the second half of the match. Yes. Um, because of this, the players had to all line up at halftime to meet the Royal Family. Roger Dean, who usually wore his own tatty jumper, changed into a nice clean jumper. But at halftime, the Queen became the ultimate flag hoister, helping oh. to launch the Tigers' <laughs> 1969 flag. My gosh, that yeah. is ultimate. So I asked, I asked Rhett Bartlett how this might have come about. He thinks it's because Richmond's number one ticket holder was the governor of Victoria, Rowan Delacombe. Okay. Yeah. But for all this pomp and circumstance, um, you've got the Lions winning this game and proving too good in the end. So mm. Richmond embarrassed in front of the royal family. The curse of the queen? Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Do you reckon she like just 
did it once or do you reckon she's like there ringing <laughs> that rope hoisting the whole way and it's funny I didn't actually <laughs> didn't mention this with the Fitzroy thing but the next time Fitzroy played Richmond the one of the coaches or some someone on the committee is like oh we got a let, we got a message here from the uh, the Queen and the Royals saying good luck again against Richmond or something like that so they lost that round one game in quite a uh, embarrassing one so Tommy Hafey worked them up for a big game the following week against Collingwood who absolutely dominated them and smashed them. Then, round three, they took on Carlton in the grand final rematch, with the Blues leading by five goals at half-time. But, led by Dick Clay, who kicked five, and the brilliance of Hart, Sheedy and Roger Dean, the Tigers kicked 13 goals to six in the second half to shock the Blues and win by 13 points to get a win on the board finally. But then followed losses to St Kilda and South, and suddenly, the Knives are out again for Tommy Hafey. Oh, really? What can he do? Um, in round six, the Tigers visited Waverley for the first time, and in a high-scoring game, the Tigers beat the Hawks by seven points. Royce Hart was six, and Kevin Bartlett with 25 disposals. Bartlett actually was on fire in 1970. Uh, against Geelong, he had 34 disposals and kicked two goals six to help them to a four-goal victory. They made it two in a row the following week, with Rex Hunt the star kicking six goals seven, while Royce Hart and Roger Dean were also handy. Uh, they beat Melbourne in that game. Round 10, the report for the Tigers' round 10 win over the Bombers reads thus... One of the worst kicks in the history of football was the needle that gave Richmond a narrow but morale-boosting win over Essendon on Saturday. Even though it was kicked by Tigers full forward Rex Hunt, this, um, so it's a very famous scene. You would have seen Rex Hunt, I think, mark the ball on the goal line and kick it into the post. <laughs> uh, this kick occurred in the second quarter when Hunt, Hunt marked and kicked into the post, uh, but I guess served as inspiration as the Tigers won by seven points. Ah, uh, yes. Bartlett, Moore and Norvie kicked four goals each in a 57-point win over the Dogs. Barrett, Clay and Sheedy also prominent. Um, then the following week, it was Burke and Bartlett who helped them win over their old foe, the Magpies at Waverley. And then two weeks later, they beat the Saints by three goals, proving they could match it with the form teams of the competition. Round 16, Kevin Bartlett continued his excellent season with Ooh. 36 disposals and two goals three in a 14-point win over the Swans at Lakeside Oval. Handy. Then round 17, disaster struck the Tigers. And although the Tigers won to keep their slight finals hopes alive, Royce Hart was helped from the ground with an injured wrist, thus ending his season. This seemed to break their spirits as they lost the next two games before wins over North and Essendon. Against Essendon by 73 points, their biggest win over the Bombers at that point. They lost their final game of the season to the Dogs by 10 to end another disappointing season. Yeah. Up, down, up, yeah. down. Um, so the lead goal kicker for the Tigers this year was Eric Moore with 39, but it was very... Sort of, it was shared around okay. in the forward line down there. And Kevin Bartlett with the best and fairest. Uh, the no, <sighs> it went to Francis Burke in nineteen seventy. Oh, I didn't really mention him much. Yeah, he must have just been solid in the middle. Yeah. Hello, kick to kickers. It's Tess Armstrong here from They Came to Play and the Outer Sanctum. Just sending a massive congratulations on 100 episodes. It's such a big deal and a huge achievement and also a big thanks for all that you're doing in keeping the stories of Australian rules football in our ears and in our minds and keep on telling the stories, please, all the way up to maybe 2017 grand final and then I feel like we could probably wrap it up then. Anyway, congratulations and I can't wait to be back with you soon. Uh, a solid season from Geelong with 12 wins, 10 losses, and their percentage 102.4. You strange to see the Caps out of the floor. Yes, mm. yeah. So, uh, too, captained by Bill Goggin and coached by Peter Pianto for the fifth and final year in charge. Okay, we've got some debutantes including Stuart Palfreyman and Bruce Nankervis. Bruce Nankervis. Tell us about Bruce. Oh, I'd love to. Um, so, 
he uh, acquired 77 goals, an unobtrusive but effective performer who could run all day and keep pumping away. Uh, like his older brother, he played in Geelong uh, under 19s, but while his brother Ian progressed uh, to the first, Bruce went back to Barwon, uh, or when he uh, was dropped from the senior list. And lives in Ian's shadow. That's a little bit about Ian, uh, Bruce Nankervis. Great. So round one was a good solid nine-point win over the Hawks at Glenferry Oval. Doug Wade kicking six. Round two was a loss, but there was two interesting incidents in this game at Cardinia Park. The first was a possum falling from the roof into the stand, <laughs> scattering the supporters in a wild fashion. That would, yeah, that would just be terrifying. <laughs> the second was a supporter decided to run onto the ground and sock Doug Wade in the face. Oh. And he ran off. However, he started bragging to his mates about it. It's like, oh, yeah, I punched Doug Wade. <laughs> so Cats fans grabbed him, gave him a few rib tipplers of their own. Yeah, good. And then took him to the Cats room and said, hey, Doug Wade, he's the guy that punched you. Oh. So Doug Wade being, you know, a bit nicer, I suppose, took him aside diplomatically and offered him some advice and sent him on his way. Uh. <laughs> yeah, about being a better human being, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Round three in the very first game at Waverley. The Cats completely outclassed an immature Fitzroy side with superior kicking, marking and teamwork. Doug Wade kicked the first senior goal at the ground in a matter of seconds. The Cats winning by 61 points. Mm. Why Geelong and Fitzroy were chosen to be the first two teams to play there, I don't know. <laughs> Why yeah, is it there in the first strange. place? I mean, Geelong makes sense because they had been playing consistent finals. Yeah. I mean, if it was done this day, you do top two teams or you do like big draw card teams. Yeah. Imagine driving Not from Fitzroy Geelong. Geelong. Driving yeah. all that way. <laughs> Weird, anyway. Spelled it all out. Round five, Billy Goggin had 44 disposals. Doug Wade kicked five as the Cats beat the Bombers by 20 at Windy Hill. They followed this up with a 46-point win over the Dogs. In round eight, Gareth Andrews, Gordon Reed, and Ian Nankervis combined for 95 disposals in a solid win over the Saints Jeez. at Cuttinger Park. They beat the Demons, Kangaroos, and Hawks in successive weeks, Sam Newman playing a blinder against the Hawks, and they sat second on the ladder. But for the remainder of the season, they wouldn't be able to string more than one win together. Wade kicked seven against the Lions in round 14 in a big win at Caninia Park, and then nine two weeks later against the Bombers at the same venue. They finally won away from Caninia Park in round 16, beating the Tigers at Waverley by nine. So their only wins have been at home at this point. In round 20, the Cats met the Swans at Caninia, and it was a close game all day. With time running out, the Cats trailed by less than a goal when Doug Wade marked 30 metres out on a 45-degree angle. Oh, pencil it As in. As he came in... A spectator threw an apple at him. It hit the ball as he dropped it, upsetting his rhythm. The ball slewed off his feet and was snapped up by a South defender who rushed it down the other end for a goal. No! Yeah. After the game, Doug Wade told reporters that a spectator did a William Tell on me. <laughs> no! Yeah. As if the umpire doesn't pull that back. That's ridiculous. So, I mean, Call it back. Yeah, this is the season that an apple cost the... the Catch the flag. Seriously? <laughs> yes, you heard it here first. Uh, and everyone's bringing apples to the games yeah. next week. Their final win of the year was round 21 against the Demons at Cardinia Park, but they missed the finals for the first time since 1961. Oh, my God. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> Fantastic. How does that happen? Oh, that's incredible. That is a great aim. And that's great. Isn't cunt. it? You could write it. South, I assume it was a South supporter, although the game was at Cardinia. To throw an apple and get the ball. No. It's probably aiming for his head. Mm. Yeah. My gosh, that's... Yeah, wow. <laughs> so, yes. There you go. Okay, so I, I'm just in shock. Okay, so... Lead goal kicker... Doug Wade. ...was Doug Wade with what should have been 75. It was 74. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... Short thing. It was quite a, a, bad, a poor season from him, comparatively. Yeah, you're so right. I it's almost... It's like half are, as many as you Yeah, so I think he missed here. a few games. Yeah. Um, and the Kaji Greaves medal went to Bill Goggin for the second time. 
So, uh, the 1970 Knight Premiership uh, was the Radiant Knight Premiership, not the oh, Golden Fleece. Yeah, well, I don't think it's the Golden Fleece anymore. It's, it was, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I know, yeah. right? Good sense. Uh, so, a few interesting things happened this year. So, uh, obviously, again, played down at uh, Lake Oval. Um, we've got, in the first round, uh, Melbourne defeating Richmond. Uh, Hawthorne defeating Essendon, Footscray defeating North, and Fitzroy defeating Geelong. Um, and then uh, in the semi-finals, we've got Melbourne playing Hawthorne and coming out the winners by a single point, 77 to 78. And then Footscray and uh, Fitzroy, which was originally supposed to be on the 22nd of September, but it had to be moved due to a proposed strike by electricity workers. <laughs> uh, and Footscray demolished Fitzroy in that game, taking us to a Melbourne Footscray grand final. It's like 1955, mm. 54, and 2021. Yeah. 2021. Yeah. 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 Uh, and a bit of a seesawing affair. Um, Footscray were leading at quarter time, but then Melbourne kicked six in the second quarter to take the lead. Footscray took it back, uh, kicking another six, you know, another five in the third quarter. And the final score, Footscray winning by two points, 13-17-95 to Melbourne's 13-15-93. Very close. So, cool. again, we talked last year about the crowds diminishing. This, again, was the lowest crowd um, on record. Um, a few what else was interesting so Footscray's Bernie Quinlan led all scorers with 13 goals in his th three matches I'm just reading here apparently Footscray's last goal kicked by Radzeminski at the 27 minute, 25 minute mark was clearly a point according to the age match report hey there you go which means the Demons should have won it robbed robbed absolutely Hutto um, kicked another bag kicking seven goals against Melbourne in the first semi-final <laughs> um, uh, and then also what was interesting was that this uh, obviously some players are still running footy with a full time job Fitzroy Ruckman Russell Crowe mm, uh, had to miss all of the night series pre uh, games due to shearing commitments yeah, of course oh, as you do season. Yeah, yeah and it's busy and um, Stuart mm. McGee captain there uh, in night premiership yes hi all this is Jeff White I just want to give a shout out to the boys for their 100th episode well done enjoy Keep up the great work. Listeners are loving it. Go for another 100, boys. Thanks a lot. Uh, and I hope it all goes well for your 100th podcast episode. Let's move on, guys. Fourth Let's place, South fourth. Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> 14 wins. Um, that's usually the number, isn't it, to get into the finals? Uh, eight losses and uh, their percentage, 104.7, Charlie. Yes, so captained by Bobby Skilton, coached by Norm Smith. Bobby taking back the captaincy, obviously, after last year, mm -hmm. last year's injury. Yes. Yes. Oh, I see. And coached by Norm Smith, who's pulled south from the bottom into oh. the fall. Hey, of course. So debutants include Ricky Quaid, Shane McHugh, Mick Pavone, and Neville Miller. Yep, so as you said, Bolt, uh, Skilton was back, but he had to drop about 20 kilos to get back to playing weight. Wow. He'd been out for a whole season. Because he'd, bro, he'd done his Achilles, he couldn't yes. walk or oh, run. Yeah, so, so he couldn't, he couldn't actually do any sort of no. fitness training. Lost 20. So the Swans lost to the Demons in round one, which would have really bit enormous with. Um, with new recruit Ricky, Ricky Quaid uh, suffering a knee injury that put him out for the season. But they opened their account against the Roos in round two, which was Bob Skilton's comeback match. In a poor game, only a matter of points separated them all day. However, South scraped home in front and was in front when it mattered. 
Albeit by one point, probably skilled with just the lazy 31 disposals in his comeback match. <laughs> From then on, it was like the Foreign Legion of the 30s, as the Swans won 10 of the next 12. This run was kicked off with a fighting win over the Dogs at Waverley Park, and then Peter Bedford helped the team beat reigning champions Richmond, having 31 disposals and kicking two goals too. And they had a win over old Lakeside opponent St Kilda, although it should have been a bigger win uh, than the 17 points. The Swans kicked nine goals, 25. Round 7 taking on the Blues. The Swans made the Blues wait while they warmed up in their rooms. Sounds like Noel Smith, doesn't it? Yes, mm. it does. The Blues were kicking with a strong breeze in the first term and the Blues soon led by 5-3 to nothing. Thereafter, the Swans humiliated the Blues, <sighs> playing a fast-moving brand of football that emphasised play on at all costs. The Blues were outscored after quarter time 150-40, to 40, <sighs> including 93-5 to 5 during the second and fourth quarters when South had the wind. Oh. Clearly, the Swans had come to play and were a team now to be reckoned with. Round 9 against the Cats at home, Hayden McAuliffe was one of the Swans' best, which was surprising as he was overlooked by selectors on Thursday night. Coming on as 19th man in the second half, he combined with Skilton and Bedford to put the Cats to the sword. In Round 11, taking on ladder leaders Collingwood at Lakeside Oval, 35,000 people packed in to see Norm Smith really rev up his charges to take on the most hated of his enemies. <laughs> a close game early saw Collingwood take a 19-point lead heading into time on at the end of the game. But it was the Swans who responded, surging and kicking goals with Steve Hoffman putting them in front very late. The final goal that put them in front saw the Swans fans pour onto the ground and hold up play thinking the siren had gone. When play resumed, Collingwood somehow got the ball down to Peter McKenna who took a mark in a stacked back line within range. But the umpire blew his whistle because it was taken a fraction of a second after the siren. Oh. The Swans held on to win by a point. Wow. <laughs> Filthy. Then everyone pulled onto the ground to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> Round 12, the Demons had trailed the Swans narrowly at every change, but Norm Smith's speech to his troops at three-quarter time inspired them to streak to a five-goal lead early in the last. It was then that the Demons sprung back into action with five straight goals of their own, but they ran out of time, and the Swans hang on to one, hung on to win by four points. They beat North and Essendon and the Dogs to sit second on the ladder and only percentage off first. Then they dropped three straight games. And the round 19 match against the Hawks was a must-win match. Norm Smith delivered a passionate pre-game address. The Swans took the lead in the second quarter and Bob Skilton was playing near his best. But this didn't save him from a classic Norm Smith blast. <laughs> because he tried to kick a goal from the boundary and hit the boundary line and hit the post. Uh, so um, as Norm Smith would do, he really would go after those star players and make a real yeah. point of it. Why didn't um, you centre the ball? So yeah, that. absolutely went through him at half-time. This made Skilton even more determined, and he played an even better second half <laughs> to help the Swans win by 17 points. And after the game, he's like, he's like, oh, you bloody bastard. It worked. And North yes. was like, it worked, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Round 20 against the Cats was a critical match as the Swans were, if the Swans were to play finals for the first time since 1945. They had to beat the Cats at Cardinia, who were just above them on the ladder. The Swans were, the, were without Skilton and their Ruckman and hadn't won at Cardinia Park in 12 years. After a pathetic first quarter, they trailed by 23 points, and Norm Smith refused to take the field. He's like, I'm not talking to them. I don't know what they're doing. Um, uh, but the Swans piled it on from there, running out seven-point winners, also thanks to a well-thrown apple. Um, another interesting note of this game was that at one stage they had 19 plays on the ground, but the opposition didn't pick it up. Hey, okay. There was no, to no advantage, but just a little clerical yeah. error. <laughs> Around 21 win over the Lions ensued they would play finals again, breaking the second-longest finals drought. The longest being Hawthorne of 32 years. Oh, yeah. There we go. 59, I think it was. 57. Round 22 was a game to forget, but it didn't matter because the Swans were back in the finals, baby. Yes, there they are. They're back. 
Uh, so, lead goal kicker for the Swannies was uh, Johnny Sedolts with 60. Peter Bedford was just behind him with 50. And the Bobby Skilton medal in 1970 went to Peter Bedford for the second year in a row. Yeah. Good, good that they're spreading that love now as well. It's not just Skilton doing everything. Well, yeah, yes. Part of the reason they're in the finals. And that's it. And how, it. how much as a, as a neutral supporter would you be like, yeah, come on the Swannies. Yeah, Everyone's, get around oh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think everyone did. Yeah. Hello to the Kick to Kick podcast. My name's Tom Morris here from Fox Footy. A big congratulations on 100 episodes. Raise your bat, take your helmet off, and keep up the good work. You're doing an amazing job. Look forward to chatting to you when you get to 200. All the best. And everyone's second favourite team, St Kilda, with 14 wins as well, eight losses, and their percentage 125.7. Oh, that's a big Charlie's second favourite. <laughs> I love him. I love him. <laughs> so coached by Jamesy again and captained by Ross Smith. Yes, yeah, so Ian Stewart stepped down as captain. Yeah. He didn't, didn't like playing with that expectation. There's a few more things there as well. Yep. Um, one debutant they had was John McIntosh, who they recruited over from Western Australia. Actually, the father of West Coast Eagles, Ashley McIntosh. Ah, yeah. okay. Round one, they had a very good, strong win over the Ruse with Sam Groper, John McIntosh playing very well, Barry Breen kicking six. Mm. Round two was their return to Junction Oval to take on their new tenants, Fitzroy. It was a bloodbath. Mm. Saints kicked nine first quarter goals to help set up a 110 point win, with Barry Breen and Bob, both Pasco brothers, Bob and Barry, kicking four goals each. The game was marred by a clash between Barry Pasco and Bulldog Murray in the third term. Murray alleged he'd been kicked and police had to break up the fight and the VFL set up an inquiry but ultimately nothing was found <laughs> surprisingly Poor Kev. round four Carl Ditterich tore the Tigers apart he dominated in the ruck as the Saints displayed much more skill across the ground to beat the Tigers by 55 it was the Tigers biggest defeat since round 10 1964 but captain Ross Smith broke his wrist and would miss nine games with the players rotating the captaincy in his absence mm. their loss to South in round six was compounded by the loss of Barry Pascoe who twisted his knee in the second term and would never play VFL football again oh. round 7 the Saints took on the Hawks and were able to shake Hawthorne in the second half to win by 25 Stuart Trott was best on ground Carl Ditterich was reported for striking his first report of the 70s <laughs> uh, but he got, off the charge. <laughs> he got off the charge following a 50 minute hearing during the week oh. Alan Davis was the star in the round 9 game against the Demons and rewarded selectors with 15 shots at goal kicking 5 of them oh. Ian Stewart was his best here with 34 posies. Round 10 saw them lose in spectacular fashion to Collingwood, but more on that later. Round 11, Ian Stewart was at his destructive best in a hard-fought win over Essendon. He got 32 disposals as the Saints beat the Bombers. However, Carl Diderich was reported and suspended for two weeks for abusive language. Okay. <laughs> no holding back. Uh, in his absence, I think they lost two games. But round 14, he was back for the game against the Dogs at Moorabbin. And in a very low-scoring game, um, they were able to win, I believe, round 14... By six points. Um, but Big Carl was at it again. Reported for striking dog Ken Greenwood and outed this time for four weeks. <laughs> this was a costly loss as they dropped games to Carlton and Richmond in this time and also lost Ian Stewart to injury. Ugh. Oh, no. In round 17, after two costly losses, the Saints had dropped from the four. They took on the Swans and it was fullback Barry Lawrence who played as a swingman and kicked three goals to lead the Saints to victory. Lawrence was fullback against Hudson and the Hawks the next week's in for next week's game as the Saints won by 25. For the round 19 match against Geelong at Waverley Park, Ian Stewart was back in the team, uh, but he was named at centre-half forward or forward flank because there was doubt over his fitness, and he was a bit angry with this. Um, and But this proved correct as he broke down in the third quarter and had to be taken off. The Saints had a good win. Stewart Trott leading the team to a 51-point win. Barry Lawrence kicked seven goals to help the Saints to a big win over the Ruse before a beat-up St. Killer team was beaten by the Pies by 10 points. 
But then Ian Stewart came back into the team to help them win their final match of the season over the Bombers at Windy Hill by 44 points. Saints back in finals. Yes, massive. So league goal kicker for the Saints this year, uh, Barry Breen with 35, and the Trevor Barker medal went to Daryl Griffiths. That's right, in second spot. Carlton, 16 wins, 6 losses, and their percentage, 112.3. Yes, so uh, captain by John Nichols, coach by RDB, Ronald Dale Barassi. Some debutants include Paul Hurst, Peter Fife, and Gary Lawson-Smith. So round one, the Blues dominated the Bombers in the opening match of the season. Jezza kicking nine as they won by 49 points. I mean, we know the Bombers were distracted by strikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, round two, the Cats led the Blues by 20 points late in the third, but Jezza's goal, Jezza got two late goals and allowed the Blues that belief that victory was still achievable. <laughs> and in fact, they powered away in the last quarter. Round four, Jezza was best on ground in a win over the Roos. Round five, they edged out the Saints in the last quarter at Moorabbin. Round six, they continued... Continuing his run of form, Alex Jezelenko kicked 10 goals in this match against the Lions, which was a closer contest than the scores indicate. Jezza and Carlton scored some amazing accuracy. Uh, they kicked 23 goals, 9 from 32 scoring shots, and this made the difference. Fitzroy had 35 shots at goal and were well in the match until three-quarter time. The mercurial Sid Jackson also kicked six goals for Carlton. But round 7-10 to 10 saw the Blues drop four games straight and sit at 5-5 five and 6th five and on the ladder. Mmm. A bit wobbly. Yeah. Round 11, the Blues dominated the Demons with a 13 goal to five second half, sealing a 85 point win. Jez was back to his scintillating best with seven goals three, and the star of the show was a half back named John Ragsy Gould. <laughs> in round 12, they beat an inaccurate Essendon who had five more scoring shots. Late in the last quarter, with scores tied, Blues newcomer Peter Fife was slung when attempting to clear from his goal line, only to see his kick slew through for a bomber's behind. Fortunately, Carlton managed to get the ball forward where Brent Crosswell produced the match-winning goal. So Carlton winning that game in round 12 by just five points. Round 13, Wes Lofts continued to lead from an unnatural position, kicking three goals to help the Blues to a 13-point win over the Cats. Unnatural because he's generally a defender. Yep. Yes. Round 14, the Blues proved too strong for the Tigers, taking control in a tight first half and leaving the Tigers in their wake. Sid Jackson was brilliant up forward and stalwart defenders John Gould, Barry Gill and Kevin Hall, as well as Vin Waite, snuffed out the dangerous Richmond forward forays. In round 16, Jezza kicked nine goals to sink the Saints, the Blues' outstanding centreman Ian Robertson, whose strong marking and long, accurate kicking provided many of Jezza's scoring opportunities. Uh, they beat the Saints by 39, uh, then two more wins had them on an eight-game winning streak. But round 19, they were embarrassed by the Magpies, kicking the season's lowest score of two goals 12. Oof. Hurts. In round 20, they jumped back into gear with a vengeful win over the Hawks, kicking 13 goals straight before registering their first behind, uh, which was to Jezza, at the 22-minute mark of the third quarter. In round 21, Jezza and the Sid Jackson kicked five each to lead the Blues to victory over the Dogs. And then round 22, Carlton went into the last match of the year against Melbourne at the MCG in good form. The focus of the game was full forward Alex Jezelenko, who needed five goals to claim the unique record as Carlton's first century goal kicker. The Demons, however, put up a spirited resistance against the more accomplished opponents and actually led at halftime by two points. But from then on, Carlton exerted their authority. The magical moment finally came when rover Adrian Gallagher marked at the top of the goal square, turned and fired a very short pass backwards to the chest of Alex Jeselinko. <laughs> Despite protests from every Melbourne player in the vicinity, umpire Ray Sleaf paid the mark 
and hundreds of Blues fans clambered onto the MCG fences ready to charge onto the field <laughs> as their hero put number five on the board. Taking a couple of deep breaths, Jessa lined up and kicked truly at last and was immediately mobbed by delirious chanting fans. Huge! Um, Carlton winning that game, obviously, and Jezza kicking 100. Yeah, well, and, and ended up with 115 for the season. Yes. That was the number here. So, yeah, kicking 100 for the... For the common, yes. I should say. Yeah. Um, and then... And obviously winning the, uh, the goal kicking, kicking for Carlton as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. With Sid Jackson second with 55. So That's a big good. gap between them. But yeah, pretty good. And the John Nichols medal in 1970 went to Adrian Gallar. Gallar, yeah. It's Gary here from the Collingwood Footy Tour. I just want to give a big congratulations to the Kick to Kick podcast team on 100 episodes of their great podcast. They've kicked a ton for the season. Truly great achievement as the history of the game is very important. I can't wait for the next lot of episodes where they delve later into the second half of the 1900s where it's going to be all about Peter Dacos. And top of the heap here, Kaz. That's right. Collingwood, 18 wins, four losses, and 136.5. Yes, so coached by Bob Rose and captained by Terry Waters. Mm. And the reason why Terry Waters is captain as well. Uh, some debutants include Bob Hurd, uh, Bruce Outram. When he's not... Uh, a rat Peter Pettigrew also played for Collingwood. Oh, yeah, good on him. Okay. And Robert Rose, who deserves a mention with this as well. Yeah, that's right. Quite a tragic tale, actually. Okay, he's played 26 games for Collingwood, 14 goals, a couple of games for Footscray. A fine utility, Rose was involved in a motor accident um, early in 1974 and, tragically, was left a quadriplegic. He was a Victorian cricket representative at the time, with good judges suggesting he would one day play for Australia. Mm. Yeah, so um, quite a sad story there. Anyway, Tom Sheridan broke the Collingwood rules. Following two seasons of non-achievement, he obtained $5,000 from Joseph Wren and sought to bring over Peter Eakin from Subiaco. Eakin received the signing fee as well as the promise of up to $5,000 a year. But what's Collingwood's rule? With payments. Pay the same. Sorry, Kaz? They all get paid the same? Everyone gets paid yes. the same. Yes. This specifically rankled Uh-oh. with Len Thompson and Des Tudnam, who had both asked for pay increases and were told no. No, because everyone Especially was Especially Des the year before had yeah. done it as well. When they asked again following the Eakin signing, the club held firm until Des and Len said they'd leave. Yep. Hmm. The player stood firm, and while the two players stood out of training for a while, they would eventually return, although they lost their titles as captain and vice-captain respectively, uh, Terry Waters and Wayne Richardson replacing them. They came back into the fold and they played, but this will simmer away for a little bit longer. Yeah. Not great. Other no. players. Uh, round one, the Pies ran circles around the Dogs and their opener. The sy- their system and ferocity too much. A nine-goal second quarter, sewing up a 64-point win. Peter McKenna kicking 11. What a season for full forwards. Yeah. Uh, round two at Victoria Park against the Tigers. Another burst of eight goals in the third quarter earned them their win. Peter McKenna, P- Peter McKenna kicked his seventh goal a few minutes before the final siren and Collingwood supporters rushed onto the ground, stopping play for several minutes. <laughs> they came from five goals down to beat the Hawks, they beat the Cats, and then in their debut at Waverley, beat the Demons by eight points. God. Against the Roos in round six, they cruised to an 11-goal win, win, but kicked 30 behinds from 47 scoring shots. <laughs> kicking Whoa. 17 goals, 30 for the day. <laughs> kicking 6-16 in the third quarter alone. Robert Dean and Tuddy both kicking five behinds each. That's close to the record, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. 
Wins over Fitzroy and Carlton had some people talking of going through the season unbeaten. And then what usually happens when people start declaring that? They lose to they someone down the bottom. They lost to the Bombers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every time. It's like, oh, they can go undefeated, they can go undefeated. And then they just get knocked off by some, by some like, unlikely. Yeah. yeah, it's always the way. Uh, around 10, 30,000 people crammed into Victoria Park to watch the Pies take on the Saints. But with Diderich starring, the Saints jumped to a 39-point quarter-time lead, which blew out to 10 goals. Before, the, the Pies were able to cut the margin to 52 at half-time. However, then they turned it on and the margin was down to 35 at three-quarter time, but rallied for seven goals to one in the final quarter to eventually win by seven points. So coming from ten goals down. Yeah. I mean, it's no 72 points at Essendon, but it's still pretty good. <laughs> McKenna and Richardson kicked five each and second-year player Max Richardson starred with 30 disposals, but a big, big win. What other things that Essendon have? Oh, over it has so many. <laughs> premierships. Um, that's, again, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> I'm happy to go through it with Essendon you. Essendon is the best. <laughs> dog. <laughs> no, uh, the second half of the season wasn't as good as the first, with a few closer wins than expected and losses to Richmond and Hawthorne. Um, but following their loss to Hawthorne, they did win their final eight games, so I mean, that's still pretty It's not good. bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Round 19, it was first versus second on the ladder. Bit of rivals, Carlton and Collingwood, in front of 39,959 at Victoria Park. Collingwood's high marking and fierce tackling shocked the Blues. The Magpie defence managed to hold the Blues to just two goals for the whole game, while McKenna kicked four goals for across the first three quarters and added 5-2 in the last quarter. His ninth goal of the day also being his 100th of the season. Yeah, massive. 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 Uh, Yeah, two goals, 12 Blues kicked. Absolutely humiliating. Um, and the Pies at this stage are well in pre- like they are premiership favourites yeah of course they are round 20 the Pies started well in the game to lead by 17 McKenna with 4 before the Bombers struck back to take a half time lead of 2 goals but the Pies took over adding 11-6 in the third to 2 behinds Peter McKenna finished with 12 goals 5 for the day adding 6 in the final term Len Thompson and the Richardson brothers also starring the final game round 22 both teams guaranteed finals the Swans and the Magpies um, saw a very poor one sided game the Swans didn't seemed to play they didn't score at all in the opening quarter and uh, Norm Smith was using three Rovers to try and drive his team but this didn't really work mm. so, so it was in, there wasn't anything on the line the, the South couldn't get the double no. chance and Collingwood couldn't lose no. it right so but well, let me tell, talk a bit more okay yeah. sorry yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Swans mm. kicked three goals in the second to trail by 17 points at half time but led by Wayne Richardson who ended the day with 38 kicks 15 marks and 5 goals uh, Collingwood showed why they were premiership favourites, adding 12 goals to one in the third term to eventually run out 96-point winners. Huge. Peter McKenna was taken from the ground after kicking nine goals, which meant the Pies played a man short for the last four minutes of the game. But the Pies won their 11th game at oh. Victoria Park for the season, going undefeated at home. McKenna also passed Gordon Coventry's tally of 124 goals in a season. Mm. Mm. Yes, kicking 143, well, including, including finals. finals yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Huge. Huge. Um, and best and fairest? The Copeland Trophy in 1970 went to Peter McKenna. Fantastic. Yes. All right, before we move on, I just need to add something more about Carlton, which I'm going to do really quickly because I realise it's important and I haven't mentioned it. Do you want me to hear pause? That's no. easy to find. No, all right. In round 20, uh, Carlton took on Hawthorne. No, it must have been earlier in the season. Bear with me. But in round nine, Carlton took on Hawthorne, and Hawthorne were dominant in the early parts of this game, leading by I think it was up to about five goals. No, not that game either. Okay, don't worry, I'll edit all that out. 
Uh, let's, let's hear from Moss. This year's Brownlow medalist won the award easily with 25 votes. The silver medalist racked up 21 and the bronze, 20. The runners-up were Footscray's Gary Dempsey and Carlton's Alex Jezelenko. Our winner was known by fans as Wheels and was, of course, Peter Bedford. Standing at 5 foot 11, Wheels started playing for South Melbourne in 1968 and was an immediate success. However, it wasn't until this season that he was truly outstanding. Bedford played 23 games this season and held immense value for the Swans, contributing to 51 of their goals. Wheels was able to play all around the ground, in the centre, on the wing or as a ruck rover, depending on what the team needed on the day. Not only was Bedford a fantastic footballer, but also a Sheffield Shield cricketer. Although altogether he made 1,602 runs for Victoria and took 45 wickets. Sir Donald Bradman himself, as a selector, considered Bedford an excellent candidate for the Australian cricket team. But the VFL were lucky in the end with Bedford opting to play for South Melbourne Football Club as opposed to his offered position at the Port Adelaide football team. No, cricket team. I'd also like to say a big thank you for listening to our 100th episode. All right, would you like to know who won the Coles goals? Yes. The most goals? It was Hawthorne. Yeah, okay. 334 goals, 260 points to take out the Coles goals award to 1970. And this gets us to that very fun time of the year, finals. Finals. Maybe we finish our final song this year, Kaz. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Uh, So... Even though the night premiership couldn't get the crowds, I'll tell you what, these finals got oh. some serious crowds. So the first semi-final was St Kilda South Melbourne in front of 104,239 people. Here's a fun stat for you. South Melbourne's first final at the MCG since the 1936 grand final. Oh, really? Because in the 40s, all the grand finals have been played at Princess Park. That's right, yes. of course, because of the war. Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Military. Yeah. Um, and St Kilda ran out winners there. Well, let's talk Ooh. about it a bit first. Yes, absolutely. Um, Bob Skilton making his finals debut. Oh, oh yeah, of course. South didn't play finals wow. at all in the 60s. Massive. He didn't. Um, they were down two goals. Sorry, they were down early two goals, five to six goals, six, one. Yeah, at quarter time. Uh, quarter time. Yeah. But the Swans showed courage to claw their way back into the game in the second term and led by five points at half time. Mm-hmm. And everyone was on the, the Swans bandwagon. They were all the sentimental yeah, favourites. Yeah, of course. The Swans had all the play at the beginning of the third quarter but couldn't capitalise. But the Saints, led by brilliant ruckman Carl Ditterich, who wasn't suspended at the moment, <laughs> Unbelievably. Brian Minot, they outscored them 13-8 to 4-4 in a dominant second half. Skilton tried his heart out with 27 disposals, but it wasn't enough as the Saints' superior finals experience yeah. uh, saw them win by 53 points. Yes, yes. Stuart. Yeah, unbelievable there. Which takes us to the second semi between Collingwood and Carlton. Those rivals at it again in front of 112,838 people. And geez, wasn't it tight. Oh, a hotly contested affair. The game was even in the first half with five goals each in the opening quarter. Then only five points separated them at half time. Peter McKenna was the star for the Magpies in this game, kicking nine for the match. Collingwood was actually outpaced for much of the game. Um, and when Carlton took the lead in the last quarter, it was the play of Tuddenham, Price and Jenkin who rose to the occasion. Carlton tried to run, play a run-on game with hand passes, but the Magpies' superiority in attack saw them in control and run out 10-point winners. Alex Jeselenko scored eight goals in the final, while Ted Hopkins showed half of what he would do in the grand final after coming off the bench in the second half. 
Sid Jackson was left. Um, in this game, Sid Jackson was also um, reported for striking. Now, what Carlton's a bit sneaky here. So he was reported, a very blatant hit. Um, but Carlton's delegate said that someone had made a racial slur to him. Oh. So justifying his so action. Kind of yeah. Mm. Um, and he was let off. Okay. Oh, no. Years later, it came out that nothing had ever happened. There was no racial slur. Oh, no. Um, but Collingwood had never forgotten this incident. Interesting. Yeah, so he was. He I was, was going to say, did he, does he have a twin that they could have pinned it on? Mm. No, they couldn't do that again. <laughs> no. Lords. Uh, yeah, so quite sneaky there by the Carlton. I think man, they haven't been the president, but he got off. Mm, very. So the prelim then uh, was between Carlton and Kilda to see who would come up in the granny against. Collingwood, so in front of 108,215 people. Uh, again, another tight one and quite errant in yeah. front of goals from yes. both sides. Look, so the Carlton lost in a halfback John Gould early in the game, but David McKay was able to, uh, Mackay was able to fill the gap. St Kilda was held... St Kilda was a shell of the team that played against South in the semi-final. The game was easily Carlton's best for the season, um, with many players returning to form, including Percy Jones, Sid Jackson. Uh, it was a headache for the Saints defenders, and he kicked six for the game, so lucky he got off. Mm. Uh, John Nichols dominated the ruck, and Jezza and Robbie Walls kicked two goals each. They won by 62 points to set up a Carlton oh. Collingwood grand final for the first time since 1938. Huge. Huge. Considering that big rivalry. Yeah, and the last three games they'd played, Collingwood had the wood on them as well. Yeah. Especially that game where they... they In the round 19, yeah. yeah. Massive. Which gets us to the grand final. The grandest of finals in front of 121,900... Sorry, 696 people. Which is a record. Yes. the attendance record for the AFL match. My dad was there. Oh, amazing. Apparently everyone was there. Well, I was going to say, about a tenth of Melbourne was there, surely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, Were you conceived? (laughs) Edit that out. (laughs) Edit out. (laughs) <laughs> the grand final. Was I conceived there? <laughs> the grand final. Yeah. Some and then 12 years later, I was born. It's amazing. <laughs> That's how long it took you to germinate. Yeah. <laughs> Special. Can I steal you the charger off you? I'm about to uh, oh, you stole it off you. Die. So I should have enough juice. Juice in the hood. No reason juice. All right. So let's, uh, let's boot up that way back machine. The, and the back machine the back, the back now. Machine, yeah, just you know, fifty years. Now let's chat to John Nichols uh, and get his take on the what is a very, very famous, the most probably the most famous grand final of all time, nineteen seventy. Welcome back, John Nichols. Now a two-time premiership captain. Thanks all. So, can we just start by saying, mate, what a game. This was an absolutely classic match. Uh, we sure will be talked about for decades to come. Yes, yeah, it certainly was an incredible game to be a part of. Was there belief you could win today? The fact of the matter was we played Collingwood. They choked a bit. Uh, you know, when we put them under pressure and, and they just weren't as good. Uh, had we played a better side than Collingwood, I don't think we would have won. Really? So, if you had played, say, Richmond or Hawthorne? Absolutely. There was a bit of a lack of initiative from the Collingwood senior players, I thought. Uh, they didn't produce the necessary ability to play the desperate football needed at the finish. Uh, they played the game too easily, and just when the crush has come to Collingwood, too many of their big-name players failed miserably. 
So let's just back up a bit here. So your finals form's been really interesting. You fell short against the Pies a couple of weeks ago, but you played arguably your best game of the entire season last week against the Saints. Yes, we, we gained some considerable momentum last week. Many people are saying that it's too tough a job to succeed when you play three hard finals in a row, but this year I was certain it was to our advantage. Our form wasn't great on the eve of the finals, but the big occasion has brought out the best uh, in this side. What lessons did you take then um, from your last match against Collingwood? Well, the biggest lesson we learned was our backline couldn't afford to let Peter McKenna kick nine goals again. Uh, we would need all hands to the pump in uh, terms of our defensive effort to stop the ball being delivered to him so well. Uh, and then the Saints game was a wake-up call. Yeah, well, for the first time all season, we started to play something like the brand of football we knew we were capable of. Uh, the big win last week was, was really the tonic we needed, uh, particularly for several of our players who might have been lacking some confidence. So only one change for your side coming into today. Were there any other concerns? Yeah, we were without Brian Quirk today. Uh, he had a shoulder injury. And both Jezza and John Gould had injury problems too. Uh, but we were confident in them that they would be able to play well enough through those injuries. And the crowd today was just immense. My word, it was immense. I tell you, 100,000 people are loud. You add another 20,000 people, that sound is absolutely deafening. So the game started and really Collingwood was the dominant team. They kicked 4-8 uh, um, to your three behinds. They probably should have been further ahead. True. Uh, to be honest, I don't remember much about the first quarter. It was all a bit of a blur. Uh, I do recall, you know, we were on the back foot and just everything seemed to be going their way. And so this continued for much of the second quarter as well, although you boys were able to get on the board early with four goals. Yeah, look, it was a start. And we felt that after that, the game started to turn our way a little bit, you know, late in the quarter, just before half-time. You seemed a bit frustrated as well. You, you gave a big um, old backhand at a Barry Price, uh, then flattened Cole Britt minutes later. <laughs> what could I say? It's a, it's a grand final. Uh, you do what you need to do to try to earn your team the victory. Yeah, I'm not sure if you saw this incident between McKenna and Tudnam, but they collided heavily in the uh, in that second quarter, and McKenna came off worse for wear. Did they? Look, I, I didn't see that, uh, but i tell you what I did see. I saw Jezza flying through the air, and that was just about our only highlight of the first half. Jeez, what an absolute hang-up, mate. Can you describe it for us? Okay, to the wing position on the member stand side. Oh, just Yeah, it was, it was a long kick. Uh, Jenkins seemed ready to take it. Looked like he had the box seat when suddenly out of nowhere came Jezza soaring through the air. Planted one knee on uh, Jenkins' shoulder and just plucked the ball out of the sky. It was an absolutely phenomenal mark. Just uh, outstanding. So you trudged in at halftime. You boys look gone for all money. I bet you were expecting an absolute roasting from Brass. Yeah, we were. But I tell you what, he surprised us. There were a few harsh words, uh, but he took us into this little room, just the 20 players. And this was his greatest moment of genius. In normal circumstances, if we were down at halftime, Barras would come in and go off his tree. But on this particular occasion, he was calm and within himself, and I've never seen him like that. It wasn't so much Barassi's words at halftime, but his calm demeanour. I couldn't get over it, to be honest. And what were the instructions? He was matter of fact. He told us we'd lost the first half, but we could still win the second half, and we could win the match, we could win the premiership. And tactically? Well, as you probably know, he did mention the need for a little bit more handball and believed that winning was still a chance. He wanted us to take the game on, you know, to break up their pattern of play, disrupt things, keep possession, and whenever we got the opportunity, handball. Handball? 
Yeah, that was the most important thing. What we must do is handball. So we handball, and we handball, and we handball. It was the only possible way for us to get back into the game. You reminded us of a, of a contest out at Hawthorne earlier in the year where, prior to this game, our handball was down. So on that particular day, we had to do it. And today was the same. At halftime, I think our handball numbers were 13, which is just shocking. Uh, so we came back out after halftime and did something about it, got those numbers back up and, and look how it turned out. And you made a few changes. Um, your professional 19th man came on. Yeah, yeah. look, the call to bring Ted Hopkins on for Bert Thornley. Uh, Barass had already discussed the move with the men upstairs and as you said, Teddy was our expert. Um, they thought that the team would benefit from his zip-up forward and I think, uh, I think it's fair to say that we did. And um, other moves we noticed included um, Phil Pinnell and uh, John Gould swapping and Gary Crane went to the centre. Don't forget, we also swung uh, Robert Walls onto a wing and David Mackay to a couple of ruck contests for me. So these moves paid dividends almost immediately. Yeah, and I think ultimately that was important. You know, once we started to handball, particularly out of the back line, uh, that was getting us half a kick forward so that the next kick we were able to put over their, their wall in midfield that they'd formed to hem us in and that really helped us to break up their defence. Uh, and when Teddy got a goal you know, within a minute, um, you know, that really, I think, opened the game back up for us. And the tide slowly started to shift. Yeah, there was a moment there in the third, I, I remember quite vividly, when uh, one of the Magpies kicked it in beautifully, laces out to McKenna, but our fullback Kevin Hall took it in front of him, sent the ball long into our forward line. That really felt then, and certainly now, like a turning point. It, it felt as though their scoring power was gone. And did you notice the crowd lifting too? They certainly did, and once we started to get back into the game, you could feel the momentum coming from the terraces. Everyone who was there that wasn't a Collingwood supporter was absolutely barracking for us. So within the space of ten and a half minutes, uh, you'd kick seven goals and only trailed by four points. Yeah, credit to the boys. Uh, Tiger Croswell, uh, Jackson, Big Percy Jones, Hopkins, um, you know, all lifted. And Collingwood really started to wobble when they seemed unbeatable at halftime. We always thought if we could get them under scoreboard pressure, yeah, they might pack it in. You know, I knew that we were a better side than that. Now, three-quarter time, um, you guys were definitely back in the game. Now, what more could uh, Barras say to inspire you? He was pacing back and forth like a tiger. He, he really fired us up for one last crack. He put the pressure on Kev Hall, telling him that we couldn't allow McKenna any more goals. Well, that seemed to work with Kevin. Anything else to say? Certainly did, it certainly did. He stuck to McKenna like a shadow. I didn't give him an inch. You know, he made two of the best saves I've seen you know, in his career, I think. And, and ultimately kept Peter kickless for the last quarter, which uh, proved absolutely vital. Anything else he said? Just as we were about to head out, he stopped us, and he told us that you know, win, lose or draw, that he was proud of every one of us. Now, that doesn't sound like Barassi. Yeah, it was weird hearing him use the words, lose or draw. It felt like a challenge to us. Then someone yelled out, stuff that, let's win it. It was probably a ploy to really challenge us for one last push. So the last quarter was different, both teams back on level terms. Yeah, it was more of a tug of war, although I thought that I felt as though, you know, we were fitter and, and full of energy. And I could really see the exhaustion in the Magpies' faces. I don't know if that was defeatism, I don't know if that was dread, um, but they were still trying to play a stop-start style of game, you know, whereas we were able to keep to our you know, play-on-at-all-costs tactic that had served us well uh, in the third quarter. And John, you had your own starring moment, uh, kicking two memorable goals in that last quarter. You nearly got your head taken off by Tundam and Lee Adamson. 
<laughs> I really earned that goal. Uh, luckily, umpire Jolly saw what happened, and I got a kick right in front, straightened up my jumper, and uh, was able to kick truly. So then a second goal only a few minutes later, and you took that towering one-handed grabber from behind the pack. Yep, yep. Uh, Aikens and Clifton were frantically trying to get their hands on it. Uh, I was just able to pluck it from behind. An easy goal, uh, that one. There was a good 10 minutes of play there where nothing but pure action was on display. Neither team giving an inch. It was just wonderful to watch. Yeah, yeah, it certainly was, uh, in, in my mind, Australian football at its absolute best. And then Teddy Hopkins kicked his fourth goal and shortly after that Brent Crosswell received the free kick in front of goal and he finally put you in front for the first time. He certainly did. There was absolutely no doubting his kick straight through the middle. We knew there wasn't long left and now it was up to us to defend the lead. Um, now, Peter McKenna was denied a mark uh, in front of goal late in the quarter. Wasn't a mark. Wasn't a mark. Then comes the sealer for Carlton. The thing I remember most was when Jezza kicked that goal, you know, the ceiling goal. He jumped up between three of them, he turned on his left foot at centre-half forward and got away a kick which just bounced through. It seemed as though it bounced 50,000 times on way to goal uh, and time stood still as it was doing so. You know, everyone was watching the ball, it was bouncing this way, then that way and then finally tumbled through and just as it did it, it looked like everyone in the crowd was going to jump onto the ground. So what was the feeling when the final bell rang to end the game? It was absolutely incredible. You don't need anyone to pat you on the back and get excited when you win a grand final. Um, but this one felt special. You know, we'd won from a, an absolutely impossible, you know, improbable uh, position. Mate, what do you reckon? Can you put it down to any one thing? Was it the tactics? Was it uh, Ted Hopkins? Was it Barass? Yeah, it was luck. You know, when two teams are evenly matched, you, know, you have to have luck. And you have to have a steely resolve, you know, to stick to your game plan or, or, as the case may be, you know, change your game plan. If you still believe if you were playing any other team today, you would have lost. Can you clarify what you meant there? Well, as I said, uh, Colin, Collingwood are a fragile side. Uh, we'd come from behind on several occasions to, to beat Collingwood in the past, uh, having given them a start. And that's just the sort of side that they are. You know, McKenna at full forward, uh, Barry Price... Richardson and these guys, they could cut you to pieces and kick the ball well, but the minute you shut them down and put pressure on them, man for man all over, um, they become much less of a side. Okay. Um, and could you name us a best player today? I could name a whole team of them. Uh, I really could. It took a whole team to win this game, to win this premiership. Um, but if I was forced to, Ragsy Gould was excellent. Uh, Tiger Croswell you know, provided a tremendous drive around the ground with his marking and his speed. Uh, Swan, you know, Jezza, Teddy. Look, oh, I could really name the whole team here. I feel bad for singling out players. Well, uh, Big Nick, uh, we uh, might have to let you go there to go celebrate this incredible victory. Like we said earlier, it was one for the absolute ages. Congratulations again. Thanks all and go Blues. Fantastic. So here's some stats for that game. Uh, goal kickers, Teddy Hopkins, four. Jezza, three. Brent Crosswell, two. Robbie Walls, two. John Nichols, two. Gallagher, two. Sid Jackson, one. Silvani, one. Uh, for the Pies, Tudnam, sorry, McKenna, six. Tudnam, Dunn, Thompson, two. Britton Richardson, one. Best for Carlton. The winners were Crosswell, Mackay, Silvani, Robertson, Nichols, Jackson, Jezelenko, Walls. Mm. We've got um, all the stars there. 
Absolutely. Uh, interesting to note that the Blues have played the last three grand finals all against their traditional rivals, Essendon, Richmond and Collingwood. Uh-huh. Yeah. In three successive games. Um, like a script. Yeah, what an absolute corker of a grand final. Not a bloodbath. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a few discussion points I'll get to in a minute, but let's just kind of wrap this up for a second. Yeah. So other results... Um, for the first time in history, I think all the reserve grade finalists were different to the senior res- finalists. So reserves as Melbourne defeated Richmond by two points, and the under 19s Richmond defeated Geelong by hey. a bit, 119 to 91. Um, but neither Collingwood or Carlton appeared in those two games, mm. which is I think the first time. Yeah, McClellan Trophy was won by Collingwood. Yeah, mm. they're good at winning the McClellan Trophy. You know, the trophies <laughs> don't mean much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but some discussion points. So why is 1970 considered, considered the birth of the modern game? Is it the play on tactics and that handball? Is the handball, handball, yeah, yeah, the quick handball game. Is that what it is, yeah. do you think? I'm, I'm not sure. Because it's a seminal season. Always, everyone kind of pivots to for when the game When the changed. game turned into the, yeah. And it might be that, but it might also be like, you know, the players starting to stand up for themselves and those players going on strike. You've also got the VFL opening Waverley, which gave them more independence from the MCG. Yep. Um, it's the fairest draw since 1923 because you've got, you know, you've got 22 rounds, so every team plays each other twice. twice so there's yes. equity in that which we haven't had since 1987. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So we've got three players kicking the ton as well. So there's lots of stuff going on this season yeah, that forwards. really makes it stand out as one of those yeah. all-time seasons. Yeah. So. Mm. Uh, it's an interesting thing, like you. So they say, yeah, the the birth of modern football. But is this like the moment? Because obviously, the game's been changing a lot in the '60s, and it, you know, there's a bit of conversation about yeah, this. Yeah, that's like, what I thought. The, it's it's been changing a bit over time. Is this like the the defined point where it's like, okay, the evolution has now got to a point where bang, we can see that this is where it's this is how it's changed slowly but that's the point where we've got to now and it's that as to that more free-flowing quick handball play on style game because we talked about it's crystallized we talked about south melbourne doing that to the to carlton yes halfway through the season yeah yeah, yeah. but, but yeah. obviously maybe this ob- popularized this is yeah that's it it's a more more visible game obviously the biggest crowd in a grand final ever yeah. so you got jezelenko taking and a good and i was just gonna say maybe the stars are actually um uh, encapsulating that like in stewart is a smooth mover you've yeah. got like skilton's oh, so smooth and yeah. so it's it's maybe it's that thing of because that style of play ended up being a fantastic game of football they're like that's the beginning whereas like if it was that style of play in a game that mm. just was a, a throwaway match mm. so why does it matter so and maybe the yeah. record crowds as well yeah sort of all right shall we wrap things up absolutely we should would you like to hear my respective retrospective rising star award Yes, yeah, I would love to. <laughs> um, the winner this year was Alan Thompson of Fitzroy, edging out Al Martello of Hawthorne and Bruce Niche of Essendon. <laughs> Highest score for the season was St Kilda's 23-23-161, and the most behinds was kicked by Peter McKenna, 71. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> I, say, I've, I haven't um, had this before, but there's some crowd figures. So season, the total crowds across every game for the season was 3.3 million people. <laughs> nice. The average crowd, 24,319. Massive. Wow. Yeah. Find out how much the tickets are worth. Mm. There you go. Uh, the leading goal kicker? Uh, was Peter Hudson. Yes, with 146 goals. The Brownlow medalist? The Brownlow medalist, Peter Bedford, Bedford of South Melbourne South with Melbourne. 25. Absolutely. 
the wooden spoon was North Melbourne mm. with their 12th wooden spoon. Yes. And the res- reserves premiership, as we said, was won by Melbourne. Mm. I just wanted to put that in mm. there again. Good. I'm glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody um, thinks. Anything else we've forgotten in there? The premiership team. Premiership team. Carlton beating Collingwood. Um, and the best name, Kaz. Yes, there was quite a few good ones there. There was. Let me go through a few for, yep. for you. Wolfgang Dietrich, Frank Gumbleton, Alan Bloomfield, Barry Cable, Brian Pirouette, David Starbuck, uh, Crackers Keenan, Noel Leary, Lloyd Bergman, John Duckworth, El Martello, Charlie Grimish, uh, Trevor Zeltzner, Charles Pagnacolo, Ian yeah. Salmon, Stuart Palfreyman, Bruce Nankervis, Peter Pettigrew, Robert Rose, <laughs> Mike Pokrovsky, and Ray Boyanich. That's right. All fantastic players. And let's give it to Crackers because, well, I mean, what a, no other better nickname than that, really, is there? Crackers. Let's not. All right, Premiership list as of 1970. We've got Collingwood with 13, Essendon with 12, Melbourne with 12, Carlton with 10. Double, four teams on double figures now. Fitzroy, 8, Richmond, 7, Geelong, 6, South Melbourne, 3, Footscray, 1, Hawthorne, 1, St Kilda, 1. Just missing North Melbourne from that list. Yeah. And some retirees. The 1970 season, saying goodbye to John Gillard of Footscray, 189 games. Teddy Whitten, Mr. Football, 321 games, 360 goals, one flag. One of only two players who had captained for an entire decade. Yeah. Laurie Dwyer of North Melbourne, 201 games, 34 goals. Johnny Dugdale of North Melbourne, 248 games, 258 games goals. Alan Richardson of Richmond and South Melbourne, 110 games, 39 goals, one flag. Tony Jewell of Richmond, 80 goals. So 80 games, 16 goals, one flag. John Norley of Richmond, Swooper Norley, 118 games, 192 goals, two flags. St Kilda's Daryl Griffiths, 123 games, 40 goals, one flag. Essendon's Jeff Gosper, 168 games, 68 goals, two flags. Gary Lazarus, 132 games with the Lions, 206 goals. Wes Lofts of Carlton, 167 games, 65 goals. And Jeff Crouch, umpire, mm-hmm. 170 games, 15 finals, and five grand finals. <laughs> Beautiful. They are our retirees. And that brings us to the end of our 100th episode. Huge. We've made Centurions. it through. We have. Thank you for tuning in. 100 episodes in the can. In the can. It's <laughs> done. <laughs> well done, everyone. We did it. Yeah, well done to you guys. All of us. Um, so that's... Thank you for hanging in there. That'll be our last full episode. Yeah. Coming up in 1971, we're going to split up episodes into part one and part two because we realise they're quite long, so we want to you know, try and have a bit yeah. more, a few more releases, but try to spread things out as well. Yeah, yeah. Into uh, more bite-sized chunks. Yes. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Mm. It might work. It's an experiment. It might not work. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Changing things up, like the rules of the AFL. Yes. <laughs> every year. Changing every year. Yeah. All right, so thank you for tuning in. Um, as always. As yes. always, if you have memories from the 70s or you know players or there's things you want us to share or think we need to talk about please let us know email us uh, all our details are at the end of the episode or on our socials or yes on our website please um, and let us know it always makes it more interesting it makes it more visceral mm-hmm. I say, nice. yeah. um, before we hand over to Joey and around the grounds we just want to say you know, thanks for listening yeah absolutely yeah, thank you you think our first 100 episodes were great listen to our next 100 yeah because I'll tell you what we're only getting sharper <laughs> that's right well, that's are idea. we actually sometimes I wonder <laughs> no, um, depends yeah, wow, 100. Who would have thought? I can't believe that was five years ago. 
That's oh, really <laughs> wow. it's just a young buck. It's <laughs> yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. You no, know, so thank you for listening to all the all of us, to us just talking rubbish <laughs> as always. And uh, yeah, please pass on pass this on to your friends and stuff. And, and uh, yeah, that's yeah. it. Let us know what you think. And as Timmy said, any yeah, any connections, anything you think would we would like to know, or even if you're like, oh, that's just interesting to me, mm. we will will absolutely love it. <laughs> so yeah, please bring back the mailbag. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy the mailboy. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Well, beautiful. Well, until uh, until 1971. Hooroo! Hello and welcome back to Around the Ground for a new year. Firstly, I want to congratulate, congratulate the team for hitting the 100-episode milestone. It's a big achievement, so well done to the uh, team. Let's get the 1970 season underway. Let's start with the VFA. The J.J. Liston medalist was won by Yarraville's Fred Cook. Cook would later become the association's all-time leading goal kicker and won the award in Yar- as Yarraville's first-choice ruckman. He polled 41 votes and won the award by uh, 14 votes, despite Yarraville only winning one game for the season. The leading goalkeeper was offered a third consecutive year was Jim Miller from Dandenong, who kicked 80 goals for the home and away season and didn't participate in finals. Later leaders Paran have won their third flag in Division 1 with a 50-point pumping of Williamstown. In Division 2, the JJ Field Medal was won by Morty Alex Greg Smith, who polled 39 votes. The leading goal kicker was Sunshine's George Allen, who kicked 73 goals in the home and away season, season and an additional seven during finals. Ladder leaders Coburg have won, have won their first DV2 Premiership, beating Box Hill by five goals and replacing DV1 Wooden Spooners Yarraville in the, the 71 season. Still in Victoria in the VAFA, we have the uh, uh, winning the flag was Caulfield Grammar, uh, with a tight tassel against Coburg, winning by two points. The JN Woodrow medalist was Coburg's uh, Norman Beatty, winning back-to-back medals. And... Coburg's R.K. McFarlane has won the third consecutive leading Coggica medal with 105 goals, uh, the, the first season century since 1951. Across the border to the Sandville, uh, Sturt has won their fifth consecutive flag and 10th overall, beating later leaders Port Adelaide by 21 points. Uh, Glenelg's Fred Phyllis has won back-to-back leading Coggica awards with 107 goals, and North Adelaide's Barry Robran has won his second of three McGarry medals, the first being in 1968 with 24 votes. Now across the Nullarbor to the Waffle, we have Subiaco's uh, Austin Robinson Jr. winning his sixth Bernie uh, Naylor medal, and third consecutive, kicking 116 goals. We have a tied Sandover medal with Perth 
Sentiment Pat Dalton, originally beating uh, the standalone winner, of, originally being, sorry, the standalone winner of this year's award in his second season, but after, uh, after Countback, but in 1997, Swan District's Bill Walker was awarded joint winner with Dalton retrospectively under the West Star Wars. Uh, this result made Walker being the only player to be a to be a four-time winner of the medal. South Frio have won their ninth flag, beating Ladder Leaders Perth by 43 points. South Frio's Brian Sikotosko winning the Simpson medal. And uh, last year, South Frio was able to secure Melbourne Premiership player uh, and former captain Hassaman as coach in his first year. They finished last. But man implemented a tough preseason training uh, regime entering into this pre this preseason, as well as recruiting recruiting former Carlton player John Riley and Collingwood player Len Clark. This obviously helped them win the flag. Uh, across the straight, uh, let's uh, to Tassie. Uh, Clarence has beaten New Norfolk for their first flag by fifty five points. The league's best and fairest was won by Sandy Bay's Roger Steele. And the league's leading goalkeeper was Sandy Bay's Brent Powell Ferryman and Clarence's John Best. Uh, in, in the 70-71 season in the top end in the Northern Territory, we have a replay of last year's grand final with Darwin, Darwin beating St. Mary's by 58 points and completing the four-peat. And the Nichols medal was won by Nightcliff's Ben Arthur Ken Bonson. Thank you all and all the very best. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.